0: Welcome to Focus, the productivity podcast but more than just cranking widgets. I'm Mike Schmitz. I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great. And I am very excited to be joined by Joey Caffone. Welcome to the Focus podcast, Joey.
1: Mike, thanks, man. David, nice to meet you. See you. Hang with you, Mike. um, I'm already super enthused, and I'm a little... Uh, rough around the edges, and we're going to probably talk about why, which I'm excited to get into. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So uh, the reason that we reached out to you, Joey, is that uh, you wrote this great book, The Laws of Creativity, which we're going to dive into. But uh, people may also be familiar with some of your other work. Uh, You run a company called Baron Fig. (laughs) I want to tell us uh, a little bit about what Baron Fig does. And uh, we were chatting before the, the call about the genesis behind the name, I think that might be interesting for our listeners as well.
1: Yeah, happy to happy to dive in there. So I founded Baron Fig, a company that makes tools to help you do your best thinking, way back in 2013. And uh, it came from an interesting experience I noticed in design school where my fellow designers used two tools, a laptop and a notebook. The laptops were all the same, MacBooks, and the notebooks were all different, different sizes and brands. And so I wanted to explore that, and I did. I pretty much dropped everything I was doing and for five months explored uh, how to make the best notebook, put it on Kickstarter uh, way back when Kickstarter was uh, pretty new, actually. And we were looking for, I think it was 15 grand, but we did 168. And we thought, wow, we've got a company here. And so we launched it the, the following year. And now we have over seventy-five products shipped to ninety-five countries, and um, it's been just about ten years that I've been doing it. So a lot has certainly changed. Now you asked about the name Baron Fig, and mm-hmm. <laughs> before the show, and I answered that the the wanting to know is is perhaps more interesting than the knowing. We used to have it on our website, and we found that people enjoyed the mystery more than the The answer, but the answer, (laughs) which is such such as human nature. But the answer is uh, Baron Fig was built on discipline and impulse, and we essentially used Apollo and Dionysus as the, the models. And so Baron is a derivative of the word soldier, which relates to Apollo and discipline, and then Fig is a symbol of Dionysus. Slap it together, Baron Fig. And here we are and that
0: is the perfect introduction to the topic of creativity which we are going to talk about today.
2: <laughs> yeah, and as an owner of multiple confidant notebooks, I uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show and and talk to the guy who put this thing together that I use all the time.
1: Wow, well thank you. I appreciate it. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say especially since you you actually read the book which, you know, I appreciate and I'm impressed by
2: yeah, so the book is called "The Laws of Creativity." You can get it now. Um, it's a uh, it's a big book. Uh, what is it? About four hundred and thirty six pages, but <laughs> it moves really fast. You know. Uh, thank you, Joey, for sending me the copy, and I read it over a course of like three days. It didn't take long at all because it's very good. Um, it's about creativity, of course, and 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 you have laws of creativity you break it down and but you also have nice stories you've told uh clearly you've thought a lot about this stuff over the course of your life and and uh maybe we should start there let's tell us about you and creativity
1: yeah there was there was a pivotal moment in my life when I was 7 that changed everything for me and i guess we all have that moment that you can look back and say and and this is why i do what i do for me I was seven years old. I walked into first grade and the teacher handed us a worksheet. We're probably all familiar with that scenario. You sit down, color it, cut it out, put it on the board, and uh, you're good to go. And it's up for the week. Well, I guess I took a while to color mine because I really wanted it to be the best. Because when I walked up to the board after cutting it out, my worm, although I used a different application of my Crayola colors, It still felt the same, like all the other worms on the board. And so I could not face putting it up there. So I sulked back to my desk and the teacher said, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course it was absolutely not. I was devastated. And I was actually close to tears. And I remember having my head in my hands thinking, what do I do? I I don't want to put this up there. And I was looking down at my desk and there were the shards of paper lying there, and a light bulb went off over my head. And I realized that I could use those to my advantage. So I made three accessories, a necklace, a boom box, and a microphone that I drew <laughs> on those shards, cut them out, put them on the worm. I put that on the board, and I'll never forget, the teacher walked up behind me and said, I've never seen anything like it. And from that day forward, I was addicted to the feeling of creating something where someone could say, wow, I've never seen that before. And so fast forward and here we are, however many years later, where I essentially built a company around helping people find that feeling, exploring that more myself with all the products we make. And the book kind of turned into an inevitability.
2: That's so so heartwarming. I mean, not everybody does have an origin story like that. And even I think more relevant, a lot of people have the opposite experience of going through the educational system where creativity gets drummed out of you. And Mm. that is where you started. I mean, I think that's, uh, I think that's special.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And you, you, you served up well, a a point that I wanted to make, which is a, a piece of data that we found early on when doing research for this book, so I just thought, you know, what what can I hang my hat on here and say this is this is the problem I'm solving? And actually, uh, Andy Tallerico, who's an incredible um, compatriot at Baron Fig, and does so many wonderful things, was helping me get this book off the ground by doing research, and she found a study that NASA did, which immediately launched me into the mission that I I knew I was going to take. And that study found that 98% of kids are at the creative genius level at age five, but by 15 years old, it's only 12%. And by adulthood, it's just 2%. So when you go from 98 to 2%, that is a systemic, reliable result that shows something is very, very, very wrong. So for me, I wrote this book where it's you know I'm not going to teach you how to be creative my goal is actually to teach you how to remember because chances are 98% likely that you were creative and so how do we get you back into the way you were thinking when you were younger before it was hammered out of you I love that that
0: statistic um one of my Favorite quotes is by Hugh McLeod mentions that everyone's born creative. Everyone's given a box of crayons in kindergarten, and the quote says that when you hit puberty, they take the crayons away and replace them with dry, uninspiring books on algebra, history, etc. Being suddenly hit <laughs> years later with the creative bug is just a wee voice telling you, "I'd like my crayons back, please." <laughs> wow, I think that's exactly what you're what you're saying, and it it confirms uh, essentially what. I believed is that everyone is is born creative, uh, we just lose our way, and so I feel your book is a great resource to help people get back on that path.
1: Now that you know we were kind of entering the space, I would love to hear both of you and your relation with that perspective. Did you feel that growing older? You know, the comparison to young to your <laughs> youth and now. Yes, yes. In fact, you have in the introduction. Three
0: devastating perspectives taught by school systems. Authority is unquestionable. Man-made rules must be followed to a fault, and the end is visible from the start. And that struck a chord with me because I remember when I was in kindergarten. I was there for the first day, and the teachers explaining everything that we're going to be do be doing. And uh, apparently, my parents tell me that, that uh, I raised my hand. And told the teacher, Mrs. Crum, if you would stop talking, we'd have time to do some of these things. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel I, I feel, I, feel I've, I've, I maybe expressed my frustration not in the correct way at that moment, but I felt a, a lot of the same sort of feelings that you were feeling with uh, the worm and just never been one to uh, really just follow the, the rules and go with the flow. Um, and I feel like creativity does require a little bit of rebellion. Yours was probably more positive than mine because you went back and figured out how to make a boom box, a microphone and a necklace <laughs> instead of confronting your teacher. But uh, I feel like it's rooted in the same sort of thing.
2: Yeah. I have a little sparky origin story too. That's on the similar vein in kindergarten. We had our uh, Thanksgiving day, right? And because it was the seventies, the girls were making turkeys and the boys were making cardboard guns to go out and shoot the turkeys. And um, the teacher had drawn a picture on the board about, okay, this is how you cut the gun, you know? And, and I got up and I said, you're doing it wrong. And she's like, really? Because they, the end of the gun was squared off. And I had as a little kid seen all the, the pilgrim guns had a flare at the end, you know? So I got up in front of the class and redrew the gun so everybody could see how it should be made. (laughs) And that, you know, but, but that happens. I, I'll tell you um, going through school, I, I was fortunate in that I was the beneficiary of some wonderful arts programs, primarily music, but also theater and some other things I did as a kid and going through the system that kept me creative, that kept those juices flowing. And now I'm a little bit older. I've got my gray hair, and I've, I've been in two careers. And I can tell you that the people most successful that I saw, I mean, I, for almost 30 years, I was a litigation attorney. Um, the people who are best at it are the ones that have a creative spirit. And um, to the extent that the school system takes that out of you, um, we should be fighting for our kids to get that back because I think it just changes the way you experience life. And your effectiveness at whatever you choose to do, whether it's being a plumber or a lawyer or an artist, I think it really can make a difference.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's it's all about facing the unknown when you're creating, because the very nature of creativity is that you're doing something that that you don't know where it's going to end up. You don't know what it is, because until you do it, it is not something that has necessarily been done that way. Which means the more comfortable you are with creativity, the more comfortable you are with the unknown, and life is just a collection of unknowns, end-capped with an unknown. And so it's essentially dealing, the better you are there, the better you are at everything, just like you said, whether you're a plumber or a lawyer, whatever it is.
2: And it's funny because so many people that you'll meet in life that are really good at something, you know, recently I met a doctor who's like one of the best at his thing and talking to him, I found out that he also likes to paint landscapes, you know, and it's like everybody who is good at something quite often you find they've got some little creative outlet and it's not necessarily as on the nose as painting but they have something. And so many people have these little creative outlets which keep them going.
1: Yeah, how e- excellence in in many fields are uh, people who are excellent, I guess, have creative outlets. I'm curious, uh, the side hustle
0: thing, um, I feel like that probably maps to something else you say in the introduction about rebellion being an inherent part of the creative act. Um, how have you seen this play out in your own life, not just when you were seven with the, the worm activity, but just with everything that you've done with design and, and Baron Fig and even the, the writing process for this book?
1: Yeah, Re- rebellion is inherent in uh, almost every level of, of creativity, uh, starting with the decision to express yourself at all. So I define creativity as the practice of ideas, and the manifestation of creativity is self-expression. It's that easy. And when you are comfortable developing your ideas and you are comfortable expressing yourself, you know, as we said, you tend to excel because you will say and do and ask things that may or may not work. But when you do those things, you learn. So uh, the first step in rebellion and understanding that type of rebellion is is through weirdness which is why chapter one is be weird i love this, one. <laughs> this thank you i appreciate it i i, I agonized over chapter one and I, I probably will continue to for a long time but the point i i wanted to make there and i do make hopefully is that there's a curious thing that we human beings do let just th- think about our daily life as a bubble. Okay. We live inside our bubble, and, you know, maybe it's 10 square miles, maybe it's 30, and it involves the people you see every day, the places you go, and where you spend 99% of your time. Within that bubble, we want people to fit in, and we want to fit in. And that manifests very simply. I don't even have to prove it because it manifests when maybe in high school we said oh there's the weird kid or at the office you know someone will say hey welcome welcome to your new job you know that person over there is a little weird you know but you could have lunch with us and what what we're doing is we're banging people into conformity and the few brave souls who decide to express themselves become pariahs in our bubble and that's i don't even think um it's debatable it's just how the average uh person the average group of people i should say kind of operates but here's where it gets interesting is that the people that we admire maybe even worship those that are outside of our bubble are exceptionally weird so i'm going to name a few people and it's not that i admire them or not but it's just examples such as elon musk is an odd character Michael Jackson, odd character. Uh, Martha Stewart. It's quite odd. but they are all incredibly successful and effective because they accept they've accepted that this is who they are and that they let that out. And when you do that, it becomes quite powerful because you are unlike anyone else. And so that is the fir- first act of rebellion necessary to being creative is to accepting yourself. And and I know it does sound a little hokey, you know, all right, Joey, like is this a practical book or is this uh, you know, like some sort of uh, woo-woo type of thing. But everything that follows is enabled by simply saying, I am who I am. Absolutely. I don't think it's I don't think you could start it anywhere
0: else, to be honest. <laughs> because in the first real section of the book, you talk about the laws of mindset. And you have this analogy that creativity is a piece of software and to run it, you need the correct operating system or said a different way. You need the right perspective. And this is the perspective change that needs to happen. It had to happen for me. And I think it needs to happen for anybody else who aspires to be creative. In fact, uh, when I when I describe myself online now, I use the term reluctant creative because I never really wanted to be creative, but eventually something had to come out of me and I had to (laughs) be okay with putting something out there and taking a stand on something even if people didn't like it. Uh, I'm a recovering people pleaser. That was really, really hard for me for the Mm. first several years. But you do get to the point where you just own your
1: weirdness. (laughs) And it's very freeing. Absolutely. Well, think... You know, there if there are listeners out there who maybe they're they're thinking, All right, I'm about to turn this off or this isn't for me, or this is abstract and and we're not getting aware. I do wanna I wanna bring this into the 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 mathematical. And my wife always says, Don't do the math. Don't do the math. Avoid the numbers because I am not, (laughs) you know, a math whiz by any stretch, but screw it. Let's let's simply try this. So right now when you are not attempting to be the person that you are, you're one in eight billion. Okay, one in eight billion people on Earth. Let's say we take just three of your interests and we put them together and we limit the, you know, the quantity to a thousand e- each. So if I've got a book and a movie and a TV show, and there are way more than a thousand, but for math's sake, we'll limit it. Those combinations equal a billion. Which means instantly when you put those three things into whatever you create or however you express yourself, you go from one in eight billion to one in eight. And if we add a fourth thing with the same limitations and you add up those combinations, the permutations are one trillion, which is 128 times population of Earth, which means you are actually provably incredibly unique when you just start putting your interests into what you do or what you make, does that make
0: sense? It makes total sense to me. Uh, you got questions about this, David?
2: No, I, I think it's uh, it's great, and uh, and it's something that people tend to forget. I think um, you know the idea that you are a unique specimen. You either believe it or you don't, but it's mm-hmm. so limiting if you don't you know, it really changes your life experience.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot here, Joey, and we can edit this out if, if you're not ready for this, but I literally (laughs) just went through an exercise of, of this in a online uh, writing course that I was taking. And they were uh, telling people to uh, figure out what your, your niche is and what are the, the three things, the intersection of the things that you want to be known for. So for me, what i landed on was intentional technology use reluctant creativity and faith-based productivity and using those three things like i'm probably the only person <laughs> or a very small sample size that uh that overlaps those three things have you yeah. identified what those things are for you though
1: i don't think i've done it in that way but focused mainly on creativity but let's just do it let's i'm okay. going to wing it cuz why not <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say practical creativity is in a sense of every chapter, there's 39 laws in this book, and in every chapter, I add a practical section where I try to bring it down from the sky to the ground in a way that you can either mathematically prove it or test it uh, pragmatically. So let's say practical creativity. Then I want to say something like human design or accessible design where i i'm not the designer who is obsessed about the tiny little shapes on the the ligatures of of this typeface and that's not that's not me my message is how do things come together to deliver a message that matters so i'll say accessible design and then the third one which i'm only i'm only just now playing with which is essentially something like playful humor I think there's some there's some amount of like silliness and I think it, it does relate to maintaining a bit of a childhood outlook and I'm not <laughs> I mentioned this at the top of the show I'm not I'm rough around the edges today because I usually go to bed at 8 30 at night and we went to bed at midnight last night because we launched the book we had a little event here in New York City so you guys got the mellow joey But I think normally I'm (laughs) off the wall and a little bit of uh, a doofus in a way in which I just kind of enjoy letting it out and seeing where it goes. So I would say those three, three things, practical creativity, accessible design,
3: playful humor. I love it. This episode of Focused is brought to you by Indeed. Rapid growth for your business doesn't have to come with growing pains. When you have ambitious hiring goals, you need a partner to help you get there. You need Indeed. Indeed is a hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed's Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. If you hate waiting, Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And hiring all in one place is made so easy with features like virtual interviews, which really save you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. So join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count that's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for the quality applications from resumes in their database matching your job description. So visit indeed.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D to start hiring now. Just go to I-N-D-E-E-D.com focused. Indeed.com focused. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of this show and all of Relay FM.
2: Joey, one of the things I like about the book is you really like the way you get the information across. This this is an information dense book. You know, you think creativity, well, you know, he's going to tell you to make time to do something creative, but you get into the science of it, you get into kind of the inspiration for it, but also the practicality of how to become more creative because uh, as you were saying earlier, I think all of us have this in us, but we're not sure how to connect the, the dots, you know, or the synapses in the brain. And you do such a good job of that, but you also go the next level with each rule. You've got stories and you've got a summary in each section too. Um, I haven't seen many books that do that where they summarize it for you right in the chapter um, tell us a little bit about the process of putting this book together and how you came up with these innovations.
1: First, I started by taking notes what ended up being across 10 years where anytime, you know, I told my business partner at the time back in the day, I'm like, man, I got to write this book about creativity. And he was like, all right, dude, just take notes. And, you know, maybe one day it'll, it'll come together. And that's what I did. So when when the pandemic hit, like so many people, we got to do got around to those things that uh, we said we were going to do for a while. And for me, it was the book. And I whipped up a table of contents within a day, within a couple hours, actually, from the notes. And the table of contents is largely what I used to to as like my guiding light, my map, to make this book. But I had to find an editor, someone who could look at the book a bit more objectively, uh, with more experience than me. And so I went out and you know, I leveraged so many contacts I'd built over the years of collaborating through Baron Fig, and I ended up talking to some incredible people. And one in particular I want to tell you all about is an editor who had edited one of the best-selling books on planet Earth at one time, a nonfiction book. And I told him about my book, and I told him what I wanted to do. And he said to me, that makes no sense. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, well, it's not creative. It's not, uh, you know, I don't see the creativity. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he explained that, that in order to write this book, I needed to have uh, doodles and, and surprises and, and handwritten things uh, on the pages to example creativity. And this, I, I, I adamantly disagreed. And this is the problem I think that we have had with creativity for so long. For some reason, all the so many creative books out there are created in a way in which they have to feel they feel like they have to express it. And my rebuttal was, well, you know, let's call him John. All right, well, John, do if I write a book about cooking, do the pages have to be edible? I don't understand. <laughs> you know, why why do you apply this Restriction. I want to write a a legitimate nonfiction book that is serious about the act of of creativity and the practice of ideas. So, long story short, I found an editor that was on board with that, and I went ahead and I took some advice from Malcolm Gladwell's uh, masterclass, where he said that your number one job is to be interesting, and only then. Are people open to being informed? So it was natural to me to start every chapter with a story that could entertain and be interesting out of the gate by telling stories that were examples of the laws. And then on, and only then would I break it down, and then I'd add some principles at the end. And I did add summaries, uh, which I appreciated because I think the way... The way I wrote this book is it's it's kind of like it could be looked at as a reference or a dictionary of creativity. And so if you wanted to go back, if you'd read through it and you wanted to go back and be reminded, I thought, man, I don't want people to have to read this whole chapter again. And so I put in these summaries where they were, in my mind, really simple reminders of what you learned so that you could use this as a reference if you needed to get your ideas going. And that's how it, it all came together. I really like the, the format of the book, but I want, to, uh,
0: I want to go back to something you said about the editor and how wow. <laughs> your approach was not quote-unquote creative. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: um, because I think this is, this is something that I've struggled with. Uh, I play guitar and sing on the worship team at my church. And one of my favorite things to do in college was to write songs. And I quickly got discouraged because I would write something and then I would be listening to the radio and I would hear the chord progression or the melody line and I'd get upset because I just ripped it off from somebody else. I can't come up with anything original. I guess I'm just not creative. Hmm. So fast forward... Uh, a, A bunch of years, I'm reading a whole bunch of books, and I stumble on Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. And essentially, he says that when you create something, it's the result of the dots that you've collected. If you want to change what you are creating, you need to change what you are collecting and i like that you talk about that a lot in this book the the connecting of ideas i think that maybe is law number 3 thinking or the chapter 3 thinking combinations yep so from that moment forward i basically got the realization that creativity is not this flash of inspiration it is a formula it is a science and i feel that uh, your book does a great job i mean there's there's a bunch of laws here, right? It's not just follow all of these steps and then you will get get the the result. But I feel you do a real good job of speaking to the individual points that people are going to encounter in their creative journey, uh, with little nudges to keep them on the the right track. Measuring against yourself, having fun. You know, you mentioned the playful humor uh, idea in the last section. Uh, I've I feel like really what people need to do if they want to create anything, and your story of how you came about this the, with this book is is kind of similar. I feel uh, is just keep going <laughs> and trust the process. Yeah, uh, if you do the right things, kind of the the result will take care of itself. Is is that fair?
1: It is fair. It is so fair, and all all of what you're saying is so well said. Creativity is is misunderstood. It's it's a fact at this point um, for many reasons. When I was writing the book, people said to me, "You know, oh, are you going to teach us the magic? And I would always say, it, no, it's not magic. It's, I'm mm-hmm. not going to teach you magic. It's actually just like, to me, it's uh, playing basketball or practicing law or being an architect. There's principles and a process and when you do it, you get the result that you're generally looking for. And so, the word creativity itself is a misnomer. Unfortunately, Uh, it's leading people in the wrong direction because creativity is not about creating, it is about connecting. And when you, if we jumped to, say, uh, chapter 10, which is gather inspiration, the law of the muse, what you do there is it kind of talks to you about how inspiration works and how you can do active and passive inspiration, or sometimes Um, You know, ideas strike you and that's passive inspiration and people think that now I have to wait around for that. And I can tell you right now that is absolutely not true, provably so, because you have writers and designers and illustrators and architects and so on and so forth, all these people who get paid to reliably deliver a creative result. And that is because they employ active inspiration, which is essentially, like you said, going out and collecting ideas and when you do that you've very simply you know imagine you've got a little satchel on your hip and every time you encounter something interesting it takes the shape of a little cube and you toss it in your satchel and you know over time you've got this you know bulging satchel filled with blocks that those become the connecting blocks that you use to build ideas like We've established it's connecting. And so the more you gather, the higher the probability that you are just going to naturally come across an idea because you have so many pieces to work with. But the very next chapter, chapter 11, is all about limitations. And I feel like this
0: plays in here too, because when you're talking about inspiration and the act of creating from the outside in, it looks like. You just got this idea out of nowhere and you turned it into something tangible a lot of times. And that's not really the case, uh, as we sort of discussed. But then limit yourself. This is really about embracing the limitations. And I've noticed this myself because I'm a musician. There's 12 notes in the musical scale. And the more you have confines, the more creative you can be especially if you're going to sit down and jam with a bunch of people you got to be in sync you got to know this is the tempo and you can't just play whatever speed you want and this is the key and you can't play whatever notes you yeah. want everyone's got to be in in sync but even on an individual level this feels very contradictory i feel uh, to the the whole creative process because you you kind of think like well i should have all of this inspiration. I should capture everything I come in contact with because who knows, that might be the seed of some great idea. But the more you do that, the less you actually get out of the things that you are collecting and putting in your your satchel. Those limitations and having a defined number of Lego bricks to work with is what allows you to come up with the new
1: combinations. Think of of limitations like, um, how do I say this? Are you guys familiar with the paradox of choice? Mm -hmm. Great. The paradox of choice essentially says, you know, the more options you have, the less likely you are to choose one because it's overwhelming. And so you can collect a lot of options, but then you have to be, then you have to consciously limit them. All right. So that's why the chapters are back to back. Imagine I dropped you in a field and and, I'm a city boy, but let's, you know, I'm going to throw out 300 acres. I, I think it's big in the middle of this 300-acre field, with a, a it's all fenced in and there's a gate. There's one gate. And I say, go find the gate. You're going to probably look around and be like, well, what direction do I go? And <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, good luck. You, you have a lot of options. Clearly, you have 360 degrees of options. But if I drop you in that same field, but on there's a road now across the field, and I drop you at the, the beginning of the road, and I say, find the end... Of this road. There's only one direction to go. And that is the power of limitations is that you, when you build the limitations for yourself, there tends to naturally be only one direction to go next. So by limiting yourself repeatedly, you can let the process, and you mentioned trust the process, you can let that process guide you. And there is trust that you have to do, and it doesn't guarantee you're going to get somewhere incredible but it does guarantee you'll get somewhere which then can help you get somewhere else and so on and so forth and that's important because you don't need to
0: have the final destination in mind you just need to know which direction the path is going (laughs) absolutely
2: I i think that is one of the big challenges for people is the lack of certainty you know kind of getting back to that loss of creativity from the beginning is um it's Difficult when you get on these journeys and you don't know where you're going to end up. That's hard.
1: Think of it this way. This is my favorite way to, to, to to simply lay it out for people who are listening and a little bit confused. There are thousands of cities on planet earth. Okay. And chances are we have not been to, to more than like 1%. So there's 99% that we have never been there. They're relatively a complete mystery. Yet, if I said, you know, hey, uh, have you guys been to Berlin by any chance?
2: Have not. No, I have not either.
1: Okay, great. Me neither. So let's use Berlin. (laughs) None of us really know what it's like at all. Maybe we Google it. But if I said, guys, we're going to Berlin, all three of us would know exactly how to get there. We'd know that we have to take uh, a cab or our car to the airport would we get in a plane and then we'd go and we'd land there and we'd follow signs and more roads and trains and buses and cabs and whatever it is to get us to Berlin. And so the creative process is exactly the same. The signs and the signposts and how you get there are completely reliable and parsable, even if you don't know what you're going to find at the end. Mm, I like that analogy. Let me Push back on it a little bit. Do you think you
0: need to ha- always have the the destination in mind, or is it enough to know I got g- I'm in a small town in Wisconsin, so I have to drive to Milwaukee to get onto the the plane, and once I get to Milwaukee, I'll find out you know the next destination. Uh, I feel like that has been more accurate yeah. of, of my my journey because uh, when I I started out, I had an idea. I want to be a creator. I want to write a book. And I did self-publish a, a book, um, but the thing that I landed on for me is the, the podcasts and the, the webinars and the video courses, and it, it's related. It's kind of the adjacent possible, right? So the the actual process of writing is what allowed me to see those possibilities, but along the way, I discovered where I thought I was going isn't actually where I really wanted to go.
1: Yeah, I think there's a macro and a micro effect of, of this or uh, application of it. And it, there's the macro application where it's, it's like our life journey is, mm-hmm. you know, we go from one thing to the next and then we don't know the destination. We know the next step. And then there's the micro application within those steps in which we probably have a little bit of a better idea. Like you said, I wanted to write a song or I wanted to write a book. And so it does apply as far as, You know, do we always need a city? Absolutely not. Sometimes it's, we just need to point ourselves in a direction. And just by making that choice, we've already limited ourselves. We've already made decisions, which is, you know, a type of action to then help us eventually get to where we, you know, we are going.
2: And, and, you know, the way that really resonated with me is just the idea that part of the creative journey is to not necessarily know how things are gonna end up. And this could be used in any context. It's not just drawing a landscape. It could be diagnosing a, a patient and working through the medical process. I, I, I guess I wanna, what the point I wanna make for folks listening is that you can bring this into your everyday life and letting go of saying this has to end up, you know, in a special place that I already know where it is you're really, you're quashing that creative spirit that could make whatever you're doing better. And just consider that.
1: Yeah, well said. We, I think, mentioned early on about how, you know, school uh, teaches us to see the end from the beginning. And very practically speaking, when when we're given a book to read, and told to write a summary in 3 pages or we're given geometry problems and told to outline the seven proofs we are handed the end before we've ever started and we get that our whole childhood and then very often we get that when we enter the adult world and have assignments given us to us by managers or bosses and so for most of our life, we are handed the finish line before uh, we even begin. And that does a disservice to us when we want to go and actually create something in which you know, the, the the finish line can only be uncovered by digging. And digging means starting without knowing.
2: Yeah. and And just the whole idea of being willing to stray off the path. That really came... To me throughout mm. this whole book, when you look at all of these rules, the idea of creativity being a process where you can take side routes and we can all do that in our everyday lives in our careers and our relationships, you know, if we keep our head down and don't notice those little side routes, we may miss out on some of the, the best things we can do in our lives. And the the first step of that is being creative enough to be willing to To take a step.
0: So, one other follow up question to that, then, Joey, is this process of writing the book? Uh, I'm curious, what changed in terms of your vision for what this thing was going to be? When you first had the idea, I'm going to write this book, you had something in your mind. How is what you actually shipped different from that initial picture?
1: The book is three parts. It's um, part one is. I have to remind myself, foundation and part two is process and part three is excellence. And so that's the how to think creatively, the creative process, and then how to rise above the rest. When I first started, even though I had all these notes and these laws, I imagined that what I was teaching, what I understood originally is my goal was to teach the creative process. Before I really wrote anything, I had a, had a, couple dozen interviews with particularly people who consider themselves quote-unquote non-creative so they don't work in a creative profession and i discovered that the nasa fact held true that they, they they were equipped uh and they had done it and that they actually understood the process more than they realized but the problem that i encountered across the board unanimously was their thinking about it and their approach to how to begin creating. You know, so the the ideas that we shared earlier about being weird, you know, and all the hesitations that I that I uncovered from people and you know what it would mean to truly disrupt and the the misunderstanding of what creativity actually is. And so to answer your question, part one, the foundation, how to think creatively, was not in the original plan but it became a critical necessity because I had to set the stage for the process that I wanted to teach because I am an, I, you know, I run a company, I am a designer, I'm an action oriented individual, you know, I like to be productive. And so for me, the jumping into the process was just, just the natural step. And I had to be reminded that there were all these perspectives that needed to be in place beforehand. And that was, that was really cool to witness. I'm grateful that I realized it. And I really, really love those first seven chapters because I think they, even if you read the book and stopped there, I think if you employ some of the thinking that it, it teaches, you can have a more fulfilling life like right away.
2: This episode of The Focus Podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash focused for high speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services, and you get an extra three months for free. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to anything you do every day can just sound like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. Now, you may not know this, but a lot of places where you connect to the internet, like your cable company, collect the data. They want to know where you're going, and that gives them marketing data that they can use or sell. I don't like that. But that's where a VPN service comes in. With a VPN service, you connect directly to the VPN, and then they go out to the internet for you. That intermediary step in the middle there is what prevents companies like your cable company from collecting data on you. And I kind of dig that. Now, ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect, but ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues and using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you can have access to the content available outside your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash focused and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash focused. To get those three extra months for free of ExpressVPN, our thanks to ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash focused once again for their support of the Focus podcast and all of Relay FM. Joey, there's a lot of rules in here. Some of them, I feel like I felt like we're pretty intuitive and some of them were not. I feel like you probably had the same experience. Where is this stuff hard for you and, and what are the laws that you have trouble remembering?
1: Yeah. Uh, I was in an interview and someone said, what, what law do you suck at? And I said, well, none of them, uh, because I wrote the book. And then the interviewer said, uh, you're clearly pretty good at the law of a- arrogance. <laughs> 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 but there is, there is one law that I am particularly challenged by, and it's chapter 32, which is expose yourself to new things. It's the law of adventure And it's about routinely venturing into the unknown so your pool of inspiration never grows stagnant. And my personal challenge is with half of this law. So I describe the types of exploration as adjacent exploration and remote exploration. And so adjacent exploration is what you do inside that bubble we discussed earlier. It's all the things you can learn inside of there. And remote exploration is all the things you learn outside the bubble, i.e. traveling. And I will be very honest, I am not a travel enthusiast. I'm not a very good traveler. I had a bad trip about six, seven years ago, and I ended up in the hospital in Japan. It was tough. I was going to a wedding. I must have eaten something. I had a stop in, in South Korea. By the time I got to Japan, I went from the airport to the hospital. I stayed there for several hours, and then I stayed in bed in a hotel next to the hospital for three, four days, and then flew home. And I did not reach the wedding, and it was mentally taxing. But what happened afterwards was um, really impactful for me, and and not in a good way. It's a few years later, maybe two years later, I had to go to China And I had a genuine panic attack uh, when I landed, and I I had never had a panic attack. I'm not an anxious person. Uh, I don't get stressed easily, and it was extremely confusing because I didn't even have reservations in my consciousness. This was all subconscious, some sort of trauma from from the previous trip, and I could barely breathe. I didn't speak the language. I was stuck in the hotel. I could not leave that room. And I had to get myself back home. And I wrote in the book that I had to use a mantra, which uh, I made on the spot. I am a champion. And I said that, like, I think 19,000 times I did the math, uh, how long the flight was, like 16 hours and how much I slept. And by just basically chased away the bad thoughts by filling my, my mind with this mantra over and over again. And so for me, the, the biggest challenge that I have, and I'm still working through, although I'm much better now, and my wife I have to thank for that, is the remote exploration part of this law. And I I guess the only thing I can say is since then I've traveled. Uh I've I have employed the law of adventure and I push my bounds. And when I'm, you know, nervous about whether I may be nervous, I ask Ariana to come with me and uh i get so much out of pushing that not just for the the creative results that can come from it but i but as a human being that needs to suffer or change uh you know how i how i experience something it's been quite rewarding but is is very difficult that's a good question um i have a question for you guys which i would love to hear you know, since you read the book and I, like I said, I really appreciate that. I would love to hear either a story that resonated with you or uh, a law that happened to really strike a chord.
2: Mm. Uh, I've got a couple. I've got a couple, actually. Great book, by the way. I don't know if I've said that yet, but this is... the The thing I like about this book is that it isn't... Whimsical, you know what I mean. So many of these books about creativity, like you were talking about with your the the editor, this is boots on the ground advice that you can use to become more creative. It you know it's not flowery, but it's it's well told. But anyway, so uh, two things in here that resonated with me: section seventeen, create for yourself. I think that is something that's easy to lose track of, and myself included. Right, I really my best stuff is the stuff that I make to scratch my own itch. And you've got a story in there about Emily Dickinson. And, um, uh, and I always try to remember that. And sometimes I forget it. Right. Um, I, I am at a point I'm successful enough with what I do that I hear from a lot of people, things they want. And it's really natural for me to want to make what they want. But the best stuff I make is the stuff that I think that I really want to see exist in a world. and, uh, that is one that I've uh, that I needed to read.
0: I've got a a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, so first of all, I'll, I'll this is a shallow one, but you mention in Law Thirty One, push mental endurance. You tell the story of Harry Houdini. He's actually from the town I live in, in Appleton, uh, Wisconsin. So that was interesting. I've been to the Harry Houdini Museum, and oh, cool! So I loved uh I loved your your story in there, not because it was telling me something that I was familiar with, but it kind of helped fill in some of the blanks around uh, a character that I was already familiar with. Um, Another story I really liked though was from number nine to find the problem. Jan Ernst, Matt Matt Zelliger. Zelliger. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never heard this story before, but this was fascinating. Um, uh, You mind if I just retell it shortly? Oh, go for it. Okay. So Jan was born to a slave mom who had foot injuries. Shoes were really expensive and took a job at a shoe factory in Massachusetts, identified the bottleneck, which was this lasting process, which I had never heard of before. That's the attaching the top and the sole of the shoes together. So Jan invented a machine that could produce 14 times more shoes than a a human and made shoes more affordable for someone like Jan's mom. So, uh, I love the, the spin you put on, uh, not spin, but the, the perspective you put on this with the question at the end, essentially what Jan did is they refined the question from how do I make shoe production cheaper to how do I make the lasting process faster? And I feel like there's a big lesson to be learned there for me, but asking the right question, recognizing what really is the, the problem that you're trying to solve here. It's so easy to look at the, the symptom and and miss the the real cause. So that was a, a really impactful uh, part of the book for me. And then um, the other things I was David asked the question like, where is this hard for you? There's there were some that as I read this, I recognized these are hard for me, and those are the ones that tended to resonate with me. I would go home and just continue to think about them. <laughs> So two specifically, one, you kind of talked about already, 32, with the uh, remote exploration, uh, I think is how you defined it. Uh, You have Mm. a a statement in that chapter, which I didn't like, but it's true. Reading a book is not the same as a lived experience. I don't like to go (laughs) places. I don't like to do things. Much rather sit at home and read the book,
2: but that's
0: (laughs) not the the same thing. Uh, And then let it go, number 25, I tend to be a perfectionist, so... I'll tweak things and I'll edit things, and I gotta, I gotta fight this every single time I, I create anything, whether it's a podcast episode, a blog post, video course, whatever. Just ship it, and then once you get it out there, that's when you can learn from the things that you did and do better for next time. It's the the quantity that produces the quality.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and being aware of the diminishing returns over time to the point where you're not necessarily making something better. You're just making something different. Yep. And then recognizing it and being able to say, okay, I think it's time to hang my hat and say, this is, this is good enough. Let's, let's roll with it.
2: I also really like section 35 about locating the present moment. I'm very much into uh, meditation and intentionality and, you know, this stuff. And I never really thought about it in terms of creativity. But it, it is there. I mean, obviously, and and flow state really is kind of the ultimate, you know, expression of this. But you've got to start somewhere. And I thought addressing it in this book was was really great.
1: Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Flow state is is uh was an obsession of mine for a while and, and it's it is essentially a meditative experience, you know, connecting with the present so thoroughly that time just falls by the wayside. Wow. Well, thank you guys for sharing that, that I, I, it is so early in the process of getting this book out in the world and there are so few people that have read it yet that hearing this, I mean, you are all saying things that I have not heard before and it's really neat to have people react to these ideas that have been stuck in my head for years and years. So thank you for reading it and thank you for sharing.
2: Well, it, it is a unique book about creativity. It's, uh, and I think one of the most. It is the most useful book I've ever read about creativity, and uh, you can get it now. All wow. right, high praise. <laughs> Thank you. So, where where should people go to pick up your book? I would say I would recommend folks go to Baron Fig and get it right there with uh, so they can see Joey's other products.
1: Yeah, if you head over to BaronFig.com, you can nab the book and check out all the other stuff. Uh, if you'd like to learn a little more about the book or about me, you could just go to com slash book, and that'll also direct you to Baron Fig, as well as ways you can get ebooks. Uh And those are the two spots. Go to one of those, and you shall be fulfilled.
0: <laughs> I'm going to put out the plug. People know how I feel about physical books anyways, but this is a pretty phenomenal and beautiful physical book. You've got a braided bookmark that's included. I like all the little touches, like the, in the, the bottom of the, the pages, you, you show how many pages are left in the current chapter. It's high quality. Uh, it is definitely a Baron Fig book, and that is a compliment. Uh, it feels like it belongs alongside a, a Confidant notebook, and I would encourage people, if you're not sure which version to get, get the physical book.
2: Yeah, I'll add to that because I'm someone who usually prefers the digital book, as Mike knows, but I actually really enjoyed the process of this, and and it was definitely, the intentionality rule was applied with the creation of this book. It's it's something nice to have on your shelf, and I think it's a great book, you know, when someone comes over and they're struggling with things, to pull it off the shelf and say, read Rule 32. Maybe that'll help you out.
1: Yes, Yes, I, I imagine that I'd like to make a, some sort of quiz on my site where um, you know, people can be prescribed a chapter or a few chapters based on what their challenges are. Uh, so I'm with you on that. And thank you both for the compliments. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Jay Desai over at Baron Fig, who is just a master at pulling these physical products out of my head and making them real in a way in which they are even better than my
2: imagination sees them. All right. Uh, Joey, anywhere else people should go to check out your stuff?
1: Uh, just those two places. And of course, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Joey Cofone, and you can always say hello or share your challenges. And I'll tell you what chapter can help.
2: Well, I, I am really pleased that you were able to get this out the door. Um, I know that it's a ton of work and, uh, and, but you really have something to share here. and uh, And thank you for sharing it with the world.
1: Thank you guys appreciate it.
2: Okay. Well, that wraps it up today. I want to thank our sponsors indeed and ExpressVPN. We are the focus podcast. You can find us over at relay.fm slash focused. If you want to check it out in the forums, you can go to talk.macpowerusers.com. We have a special room there just for the focus podcast, and we'll see you next time.